So what's it take for you to learn? What's it going to take for something to change and for things to be different? Now, I'm going to use this metaphor for the entire morning that the church is designed to be a gym, not a place for spectators. And when you go to the gym, you sweat. You do the work. That's how you get healthy, right? Because then we can live what God's given us throughout all of life. And so, what if we started viewing this as the gym it's supposed to be, and not the auditorium we get to go, that was a good up for me for the next 24 hours? (laughs) Paul basically says, I'd hate for you to get it wrong. So, let's have some fun with this in 1 Thessalonians. Now, one of my favorite parts of this book, now I notice you have an NASB, which is one of my two big translations in your um, pews, my seminary Bible, good with my geek in Hebrew, all that good stuff, it's awesome. And then the other one that I link it to whenever I do my, you know, cross is the New Living Translation, because they actually use the same translation principles, but shorter sentences. (laughs) They're a really good match, right? But here's the difference. If you were to look... At 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, or I mean 1, all the way through, you would see it says brothers. Now, ladies, I know you buy a lot of marriage books for your husbands, hoping they'll read them. But, if you look at the footnote of the new ESV, it's all brother, brother, male, male, all the way through, right? And the footnote says, meaning brothers and sisters. (laughs) You see, there's no place in the New Testament where it takes the singular for brother and means brother and sister. It means brother. And guys, those are usually not good passages for us, to be honest. They're the ones that they go, okay, guys, (laughs) you're missing it. But when it uses plural, the context determines if that's a bunch of men or does that mean all of us. And one of my favorite parts of the NLT, the New Living Translation, is where it should be brothers and sisters. Ladies, you don't get to just poke us. We get to poke back. We get to say, no, we're in this together. Right? Now, there's not a male way to come to know Jesus in a female way. There's not a female spiritual gifts list and a male list. Right? You know, so there's this idea of being brothers and sisters in faith. That we have to be there for each other. And I think you'll see where this lands. Where, guys, we need our helpmates to help us with this. Right? But throughout uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians... Paul uses 16 times, he does this, well, so I want you to turn to the person next to you and either say, hey, bro, or hey, sis. Go ahead. Hey, bro, hey, sis. Right? All right? And, and so here's the thing. All through this, he basically does this. You can't be listening to this going, I know who that's for. <laughs> Wait, turn around. Is he listening? Right? Is she? No, no, no. Here's what he goes. The whole book, 16 times. So he only does this, actually, in a couple of his letters, particularly Thess- Thessalonians and Colossians. He doesn't use this writing style, so he's doing something. So here's how I'm going to teach you how to study First Thessalonians. I want you to read it and go through with a highlighter, and every time it says brothers and sisters, mark it. And just then go back and say, what are those 16 times that it say, hey, and don't forget? <laughs> little poke moment, Right? It's the instant replay if you're watching the game. It's like, yeah, make sure you don't miss it. Seven more times in Second Thessalonians, which is a much shorter book. So, hey, brother and sister, right? So here's where it starts. Here's the very first one. And we're going towards chapter 5, but I need you to see how he uses this in this rhythm, because then it becomes, whoa. So he says um, in 1 verse 4, brothers and sisters... 
God loves you and has chosen each of you to be his very own people. You see that word each? He uses that a lot in this book. It's like, you don't get to opt out and go, our leaders need to deal with that. Our paid people need to do You guys, this is a meddling book for anyone who thinks you're paying someone to do professional faith. <laughs> and he's like, sorry, your trainer can't work out for you. And he says, so, you know, this whole book is set up that you have a, um, you've become a living exhibition about what life with God looks like for the people around you. And leaders are like a first wave of that, but that's it. So then the rest of us take over with them. So what would it mean for you to be a living exhibition about what life with God looks like in your marriage as a grandparent, as a parent, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a co-worker, as a neighbor? What would it mean like for God to literally have you in this area because he needs you to be a living exhibition of what life like Christ looks like for exactly what your hobbies, your interests, your passions, where you, you know, why you live here, why you wish you didn't live here, it doesn't matter. Have you ever realized that you don't need to go somewhere else in the world to be at the center of God's will for you because he's with you right here? So brothers and sisters, God loves you. He's chosen you. Matter of fact, if you look at the first chapter, he actually takes all the themes of the whole book and he puts them in the first chapter, kind of like the cliff notes. Or like, you know, you learn to write when you're in grade school. What do you, the first sentence is supposed to be the big idea of the paragraph. And when you get to a new big idea, you start a new paragraph. He basically goes, I want you to know what this book's about. And now I'm just going to unpack every one of those pieces because you heard me, but you didn't hear me. You're too familiar, right? Um, here's an example over in chapter 2. And again, I'm going to give you the tease on some of this because it's so rich. Why would I want to eat all those calories three times today? We all need to do the work with it. In chapter 2, verse 1 and then 9, you were each eyewitnesses, and here's what Paul's saying, of our hard work and right motives as we told you about Jesus and his new life for you. Now, I need to know, Paul has a bias here, and you can see it so clear in the end. Leaders are first livers, but they don't live it for us. They live it with us. Would you, you know, just take this prayerful moment and go, God, I am sorry where I've expected my mom or my dad or my elders or my staff or other people to have more responsibility for my faith with you than you and I have for me. He's saying, I need you to know they have a role, but you kind of want to put them in a position, but I've given them a role. And that role becomes yours where you live. Leaders are first livers as they model and share Jesus with us. Then he goes, one more, to verse 14. Brothers and sisters, you have had hard times. You have suffered persecution. We longed for, brothers and sisters, another. We longed for and wanted even more time with you. Brothers and sisters, we've encouraged, been encouraged in our faith by... Wait, did you see that? Hey, turn to the person next to you and say, whenever you encourage me, I want to say thank you in advance. Go ahead, let them know. You see, this is not a pulpit to a room, right? You see what this, here's what he's doing. He's bringing this layered approach and bringing it down to a priest of all believers, putting us all side by side and saying, we have a spiritual responsibility for each other. And here the leader who's giving them something is super encouraged now because why? You're getting back from them what they've learned so that you grow. 
Now, that's a completely different type. By the way, when you have a, any of you have adult children, how many of you have adult children, right? Now, okay, I, I do not want to depress you right now because it could happen. I know adult children don't always text their parents back because they're afraid the conversation is going to go where they don't want it to go. Right? And it's kind of like, well, that's kind of rude. I raised you. I changed your diapers. You don't even reply to my text. And there's a lot of pain in that. I'll just be honest. There is a lot of pain in that. There is an incredible joy when adult children become this with friends and share what they're learning, still respect, but also give. There's something special. But you know, why do we not do that? Some of the same reasons we don't do it in Jesus. Pride. I might have to grow. (laughs) Stop! Then he says, in the next chapter, chapter 4, brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. But can we just, I mean, all morning, Pastor's done a beautiful job of reminding us about putting ourselves in the center of what God has for you on his definitions, on his, his rules, not on ours, right? But here's what, here, it's like Paul writing like his own, here's what he's saying. Please, can I urge you? Can you live in a way that puts a smile on Jesus' face? Okay, you want to know what you need to do? You want your new meme? You want your new poster? This week, I'm going to live in a way that puts a smile on Jesus' face. You can't do that without his help. And you can't do it to get his favor. You do it because it's a response to how he loves you. A constant response. And he says, as we have taught you, you live this way already. This is a great Paul moment. And I'm going to encourage you to do so even more. Okay, you guys know your parents do this. Moms are really good at this. You get a little open. You get a little like, okay, I'm going to deal with this in my life. And you put it out there. And what do they always want? More. There's a rule in the gym that if you lift a new weight, a PR, personal record, you go over and you ring the bell. Sounded good until the first time they made me do that. Because you know what your trainer does the second you finish ringing the bell? This is not the Arby's bell for good service. Which I've never rung, but I like the food. But... You go and, you, and here's immediately he goes, okay, so what's our new goal? What? <laughs> Have you ever had that, that moment in Jesus? I've done enough. You've, you know, it's like, instead of every day, do you sometimes feel like you're 52 weeks faster? Like, didn't you already ask me to grow once this year? <laughs> Let's say we're in February and he's already asked me ridiculous things in Jesus. And there's still, what, 40 weeks left? Here's what Paul's saying. That's not pastor asking you for more. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's like, oh, you mean my marriage? I'm going to go to a marriage. We've been married 50 years. We're going to go to a marriage seminar? Yeah. Because you stop listening and assuming what the other person was saying. So he's doing this beautiful picture. You start to see these things. He's saying, we are a family, and I need to give you family-like encouragement, and we need all of us to figure out what it means to help all of us Be more in this faith journey. You say we love our church? That means you love when your church pushes you because the friend next to you signs you up for a Bible reading plan through the whole Bible this year and wants to read it with you. And you go, thanks for reminding me. Thanks for stalking me on you, version. Thanks for sending me that little memo. I haven't seen you around for a week in the Word. What are you doing? Right? So then all of a sudden, in uh, 
we land here. And I'm, I'm skipping some of these because I want you to know they're here because it's a fun way to study it. And we're like, whoa. But here's where I wanted to land with you today. Over in chapter 5, as Paul gets near the end of this, the water buffalo moments this. He uses this therefore. If you've ever studied Greek and your pastor ever says, when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it therefore? But here, it's like all caps underlined in red when you see a therefore. He's saying, with all that's already happened, I would like you. And this is what I love about this. I love when Jesus is simple enough I can get it. Don't you? Right? I had seminary professors that I still don't get. Good news, I don't have to live it because I don't get it. But this is so simple, we're all in trouble today. If you came to church not wanting to do things different in your marriage, or as a parent, wrong service to come to. Because here's what he says. Therefore, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are in fact doing. PR, new goal. (laughs) Now, this is really funny. If I was to open one of my three apps on my Bible, my Bible apps I use, and I use the Blue Letter Bible for this. You just tap it, and it pulls up a Greek lexicon of how the word was in the original language. And you know, this is awesome because it comes up, and like it says, encourage. And the very first definition in Thayer's lexicon is to be alongside, to be with. So when you hear the word encourage, it isn't a hallmark moment. It's a shoe leather moment. You're sitting at the bedside in the hospital with them, right? You are there. So when he says encourage, there's a presence, right? Why do we not do church just on video? Because you can't fulfill this verse just on video, right? You can do some, but not what this verse is saying. It certainly won't be mutual. So encourage. Now, the other one is fun. The next word, each other. I love this. I love, I mean, I, big geek, you know, Greek geek and, and Bauer's lexicon of the big, you know, meaty one with every use of a word. I mean, that, that's, that's when I'm happy. I'm studying that stuff and learning what the first century stuff, right? You know what I love? Thayer's opens it up. You know what each other? It's got three words in the definition. There's not a, it's three words. That's it. Isn't that a good one? Because you probably can't misunderstand it. Mutual. Reciprocal. In English. One another. Here's the thing. He's landing this book at a place that says none of us can have a one-sided faith. We have to actually give. You know, about, hey, you know I'm telling you, marriage secret 101. This is before you even get to go to your you know, Valentine's marriage conference. You can only do 100% for your spouse. And you can only do 100% for your kids. You can't do 101. That's called enabling. That's it. You literally can only do 100%. And they are accountable for God for their 100%. And even if they give 0%, I still need to give my 100%. But what I don't do is 110 because what that actually means <laughs> is I've ignored the free will of the Bible. Guys, that's sometimes the hardest place to pray, isn't it? When somebody else doesn't bring it. So he's going to do something for us here as a church. Because he's saying, listen, church is a mutual place. Uh, the other day in the gym, you know, it's like, hey, here's what I need you to do. Here's what... Here's what your workout is. And it's an hour-long trainer session. And they got me up to three times a week, right? There was nice, and then there's cruel, right? Three times a week. Full hour, right? And it's just like, man, I came in feeling so good. You never want to tell a trainer you're feeling good. Because you'll always leave hurts, right? And, uh, you know, you go... I'm not getting what you're trying to have me do. That's like a weird thing. And there's a lot of weight on that thing. 
And he, so I go, could you show me so I lift it right? Because if you lift it wrong, you can't lift the same amount. And so I'm like, well, show me again. How many, how long could I pull that off before he was finally going to go, sorry, Dave, you're lifting it. Lots of reps. You know what eventually happened? I can do things I couldn't do. I can be on ladders. I can build spas for our daughter's uh, salon and spa business where I'm doing all the floor. I can do, I mean, I'm like, what am I, how can I do that? Oh, I have to think back to the times the pain got me there. So, so encourage each other. And then the next thing he says, build up. Here's a funny one. You know what build up actually means? Leave each other with more than you take. Leave each other. Now, that's a fun competition in your marriage, right? Leave each other with more than you took? Because it's like, whoa! I tried to give the other? It's awesome! But he's saying, leave each other with more. You know, takers are dangerous people to draw close. And the Bible's setting a new standard. Disciple makers are mutual. They leave each other with more than they take. Do you do that with your pastor? you do that with your small group leader? you do that with your parents? Where are all the students, right? So then, here's where he goes. This is really interesting for me. The next verse, he uses brother and sister again. So he says, this is the norm. The whole book lands on this. I need all of you to come alongside of each other in a mutual way, to leave each other with more in a mutual way, more all the time. That's disciple-making. Churches don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. It's something we all do with each other. Alongside means presence. Oops. That means I have six minutes. Do not freak out. I love this book, so I put myself under accountability. Right? He says in the next verse, verse 12, So, brothers and sisters, honor your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Remember how I showed you the one verse already? He starts the book reminding about his hard work. You see, here's what it's saying. I need you to honor your leaders not because of their position, not because of their office, but because they are the first livers of this way of life. They've gone over and lifted the weight too. They've done the exercise they've asked you to do. They've inspired you, but they can only do 100% for you. You still have to come back with your 100. And there's a lot of times there's pressures on pastors and staffs Missionaries and what we do in prisons, we do in church plants, what we do all over the world, 70 countries. There are a lot of people who want us to come give, but don't want to lift the weight. And if I find a way to make that okay, I've actually contradicted the Bible. Because the one another's, we're going to, at our leadership time, we're going to learn what it really means to biblically bless one another. What are the skills of truly being a first liver of mutuality? Rennie's going to get to do all the good stuff there. But he says, uh, they give you spiritual guidance. Huh. So here's the thing. The lead said, this is going to be really important. It's like an Oreo moment here. Verse 11, it's like you get the outside, you get the nice filling in the middle. The leaders show you what that looks like. And then you go back to the cookie again. Because all of a sudden, guess what he does in the next verse? So brothers and sisters. You know what? In our Western church, we would like to have so elders. We do not want it to say brothers and sisters on this next verse. We would like to go, hey, so everyone encourage each other, but remember, it's really the pastor's job. So if you drop the ball, that's okay, it's their job. And here's what he's saying. No, I want to remind you they're here, but I'm also going to take off of them what's already on us. And he says, so brothers and sisters, we urge you, which is a pretty strong word for Paul, 
He goes, I can't imagine another way of living. I'm going to urge you to do four practices. Are you ready? A, warn the spiritually lazy. Notice I insert the word spiritually there. Why? Because that's what Paul does. That's the context. Encourage and build each other up. Leave each other with more. What's he already teaching on? Of what God has been giving to you is a mutual exchange. You pray, you receive something. You're in the Word, you receive something. God loves you, you receive something. You overflow in love. You spend time with people. It's mutual. It's his picture. So he's saying, you know what? If, if you've, got, you've got a dear friend here in the church, but you've kind of started to take a spiritual vacation, and you're drifting away, you're really not bringing your side of the equation, they have permission to gently, unless more is needed, kick you in the booty. And say, that's not okay. Now, by the way, this isn't what strangers do to you. This is what friends do to you. Matter of fact, if you don't know the person, and just it's, that's not speaking the truth in love. Remember the alongside people? The people that do this aren't somebody, I am the Bible police. I'm going to get you with things and hit you with my big old King James. No, he's saying no. This is what friends do with each other. See, that's for disciple making. And some of us... I'm the rule corrector. I'm sorry, you speak the truth in love. You've got a lot of, you've got to be friends of those people. Oh, that's way too much work. Well, then that's, you can't do it. Warn the spiritual lazy. Isn't it nice when friends, my wife, Rainy and I for 15 years have read the Bible every day together. Um, and then we share, we have friends all over the world who read with us. We love the stalking of you version, right? And, uh, but we read together. It changed, I mean, for mere years we read different things and talked about it. But it was something about our marriage of us saying, that's going to be a part of it. He says, number two, encourage those who are spiritually what? Timid. These are the middle schoolers. These are new believers. These are people who have never been around the Bible in their life, and they go, I wish I knew. I want to know. Well, guess what? You can't know unless you lift it. <laughs> and let it, let's do it together. These are people on a new journey. We all get to be a part of that. That's disciple-making 101. You don't know more, they know less. You have the same spirit, the same Bible. Take some time and let's see what we learn. Third one, take tender care of those who are spiritually weak. It's actually the picture of being entangled and running through, like a cross-country team running through a forest. Someone's going to come out limping and you have your arms around them. It's the idea of celebrate recovery. Long-term, tender being with. Wait, so you get the idea? It's not okay for some of us to take and not give. We may wish church looked like that, but the Bible doesn't call church like that. Secondly, hey, you don't know, that's okay, I'll teach you everything I know. Well, terrible way to teach somebody, right? Ever have somebody teach you a new computer program in 12 seconds or less? Right? A new update that, you know, it's like, oh, you can't do it. It's like, no. Thirdly, sometimes it's going to be a long journey and we need to walk with. You guys, that's actually where disciple making gets its sweetest. That's called parenting. <laughs> it's called marriage. Most marriages. Our, our son reminded me this last week that most marriages aren't like... He almost like scolds us for how good our marriage has been. You guys don't fight. You read the Bible together. Life's good. You work together. 30, you know, 20. You're just weird. Stop using that as any standard of what marriage could be like. He's like, most marriages fight and scream and shout and throw each other outside like Fred Flintstone and the dinosaur and stay out there. And I'm like, I'm still not feeling good about that, John, that you think that's a good marriage. He's like, no, I'm just a normal. I'm not saying what a good marriage is. I'm just saying normal. All right, well, I'm still going to hold on to mine. <laughs> and you know what I love? The last one, D. You, nobody in this room is going to like this. Be patient with everyone. So, can I take that one? No, I'm not touching the Bible. But you know what we'd like? 
Oh, man. You mean disciple-making means, look around the room. I didn't look around the room. Do you see the people here? You are stuck with each other. Patiently stuck together in what God has for us. So, so here, this is what the book of First Thessalonians deals with. And if you just took every brother and sister passage and said, I want to do more of that, you would be more like this incredible picture. Because here is what we remember. You know, what happens if you go to church to get? You won't work out. You will not have the mobility. You will not have that healing spiritually. You will not actually be a part of the disciple-making community here. You'll just be a taker. And, you know, we're going to be patient with you for as long as you do that. But I will tell you, it's a red buzzer moment. We're going to be, we are, we're going to be patient. But can you imagine a church with 95% takers and 5% givers? <coughs> I've been there. It's not fun. You have tired leaders instead of inspired leaders. You guys, we, changing, getting it wrong and making this not about brothers and sisters, but about Paul would get this whole book upside down and backwards. Crocodile, log. So, you need to see where Bryce came out. See, I found this, uh, look at, I mean, a little bit of time. It is pretty impressive what can happen. Now, he does. We all work out a lot. So, he also works out. And, uh, and he tells, I mean, I tell you, he is as loyal as we are with his own version of the weights there, right? And you see, God takes all of us from wherever we are. Isn't that what he's saying? From spiritually easy to, you know, beginning of the journey to entangled in the journey to patient with everyone. Let's just call that in spite of our stuckness. But you know what? I want a year from now. You should be more in your marriage, more in your parenting, more in your kidding, being a child. You should be more in your as a. You should literally be more of what Jesus has you to be like. And so it's like I go to the church to receive this, and if I don't, my head doesn't sweat. I haven't worked out. That's where I'm going to land today. I have learned that if my head doesn't sweat, I somehow haven't put it 100 percent myself into it. There's just that moment planking, wall sits those mean things. And your head sweats. And you feel the workout two days later. Jesus is really good at that. Sorry we made church in this century and this culture a little too easy. I'm not saying we shouldn't be nice. It should be the most loving pace on the planet. And it's only your friends who should be kicking us and helping us and, because they're already doing it, though. So, you know, I'm just going to land here. We, we're going to get the chance to learn how to bless each other because it's the, what does encouraging alongside and building each up leaving more, what does that actually feel like? You see, that's the second half of this. And if we start to do that throughout your leadership community, because that's what Paul says needs to happen, it'll become normal. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are a brothers and sisters type of God. That you show us as a trainer, through our trainers, what this looks like, and then you work out right alongside of us. You did it with your friends. You did it with your disciples. You sent them with friends to do it. So, Father, you are a God that puts skin on and does it right it alongside of us. You are a God who sweats with us. You don't ask us to do anything you're not willing to do. But, God, I'm just enjoying the fact that this church is located right here for these reasons and this time in history to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples mutually, together, not at each other, not to each other, not even for each other but, Father, with each other. So I thank you for the mutuality. I thank you for this incredible room of leaders, every person in here, pulling their weight in the faith you've given.